Last Sunday we were in Psalm chapter 40 verses 1 through 8. Tonight we'll be covering 9 to 17, but we'll again read through the psalm. So if you could, turn in your Bibles. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. We started verses 1 through 8, and we were covering just David giving this testimony of being pulled out of this horrible pit, this pit of noise, of horrible confusion, and now being drawn up out of the pit and being placed upon this rock, and his steps being made secure. And now this new song, which had not been sung before, was now placed upon his lips. This song that even now we are reading, this song of deliverance. 
David continues on and as he moves into telling of all of the wonderful blessings that have been placed in his life, the amount of times that God had done wonderful deeds in his life, he's recounting all of these things and then all of a sudden he's pointed towards this messianic prophecy, this view of the coming Christ. And we read through that last Sunday night in Hebrews chapter 10, the better priest, the better sacrifice. And so now we are going through this seeing that it's not anything within David that could bring him out of these situations. It was a holy, sovereign God that was able to do this work in David's life. And now we start in verses 9 through 17. You know, I pulled up an article today uh, just looking at what all the main, uh, main headlines were for today. And it's a Sunday right before Christmas, and I saw 10 main headlines, and I think it speaks a lot about the world that we live in today. Uh, the first headline that I read was about the Minnesota National Guard. They've identified three who were killed in a helicopter crash. The next one, right under that, was climate scientists try to cut their own carbon footprint. The third one was North Korea conducts important tests at a once dismantled nuclear site. Number four was the Sesame Street puppeteer, Carol Spinney, died at age 85. The fifth one was this official news that was put out in the Pensacola shooting that the base shooter had watched shooting videos just before the attacks. Number six was out of India that a devastating factory fire killed at least 43 in the Indian capital. Number seven, Ukraine faces new challenges in peace talks with Russia. Number eight, Hong Kong protests mark the six-month mark with a massive rally as students and people flock to the streets to protest against the government in Hong Kong. Number nine, historical documents show Japan's role in World War II regarding World War II sex slaves. And then number 10, the House impeachment report looks at abuse, bribery, and corruption. Not, not great headlines on a Sunday afternoon, but really speaks volumes about what the world is experiencing and seeing right now. And all of these headlines, every one of them, it's crying out for a deliverer, something to deliver them out of this current situation. But the world often turns to things that are anything but the one who can deliver them. And in this psalm, David wants to point the whole assembly towards this great deliverer. And we're going to examine that in these texts. David does a wonderful job as we go through each of these verses, highlighting our Lord. And so as we jump into verse 1, it says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. This having told the great news, this is a, a proclamation. This is uh, speaking something to give good news. Much different than the headlines we see here. 
This is the job of a preacher. The job of a preacher is to preach good news, to preach of Christ, our Messiah, to tell of the deliverance that is given to all who would repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Another word that we often hear during the Christmas season is tidings, good tidings, good tidings. And this good tidings of comfort and joy, this, this is also another way of proclaiming good news. And now he's proclaiming deliverance, salvation, and this righteousness of God. Now, as we see God's righteousness, it's best demonstrated by his justice, that sin must be rightly judged. And, but those who are under this covenant of redemption, we are delivered from this eternal condemnation. And it gives us hope. And it gives us confidence. David is sharing this message in the great congregation. The great congregation was most likely all of Israel in regards to this text. But this can also be known as the whole assembly or a multitude. Uh, Even in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, when God says to be fruitful and multiply, the fruit of that multiplication was the assembly. They are brought together with purpose, and that purpose was to bring glory to God. And so David is proclaiming this good news to the general assembly, all those who were gathered who needed to hear this good news. And David, he says, I have not restrained my lips To not restrain, he's not holding anything back. He's not shut up. He's fully proclaiming all that has been revealed to his heart and to his mind. And as he says that he has not held back his lips, this is his speech. The the word that they use for lips here is also can be used for the banks of a river. And if a river has no banks, The water floods the plains. And it's a picture here of his speech has not been held back like the banks holding back a river, but they have flooded the plains of the great assembly. This testimony of God's deliverance upon his life is in full view of the assembly as the psalm was even asked to be sung by the choir master for public worship. David then goes into these important words of saying, as you know, O Lord. You know, David, he's always seeing the work of God in light of his attributes. He knows that God is omniscient. He knows all things. There's nothing hidden from God. David, he'll testify to these things in Psalm 139. We could turn there. One thirty nine verses one through six says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is 
It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David, he is showing that God is actively searching our hearts. He knows our ways and our thoughts. The Lord knows our thoughts even before we have knowledge of our thoughts. God's omniscience is not limited to now, but is able to see and know everything in all times and in all places. God's knowledge is not able to be comprehended or compared. I, uh, I'm searching for a computer right now, and I've been looking at all of these different models, and I've been kind of weighing the pros and cons, looking at Macs, looking at PCs, uh, looking at, do I go with the i7 processor, the i5? And everyone says, well, just make sure that you have 16 gigabytes of RAM. Make sure that you have at least this much processing speed. Make sure that you have this much for your SSD drive. It needs to at least have 512 gigabytes of memory. Oh, and make sure that you also have this high-speed drive that can download all your information at this many gigabytes per second. And we're so focused on memory and speed so that we can have things and access things and know things like this. But as much as I am blown away by the speed and technology of computers today, the way they can process information at rates of speed that 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago would have never been comprehended. All of this is not in comparison to what God, the omniscient, sovereign God can do. So, as David is looking at this, he says that I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David, he's not hidden God's righteousness in his heart. Many People come to church on Sunday, but there's a denial of God throughout the week from Monday through Saturday. And I, I really feel that, and I, and I think that most people who deny God by remaining silent of their testimony or proclamation of the gospel have a low view of God's mercy. And we may come up with many different reasons for why we are reluctant or unwilling, but we're dishonoring God by our silence. If we turn to Luke chapter 6, 43 to 45, it's going to talk about things that are placed in our heart and how those become things that we proclaim. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. Let me say that again. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks 
And again, if we go back to now Psalm 119, which we've been walking through on Sunday mornings, and we look at verses 11 through 13, we see David speaking about this same thing. And David says, I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, and teach me your statutes so that with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Again, as we meditate upon God's word, as we again remind ourselves of this great mercy that we have been given, these things simmer within our heart. And it begins to transform our minds, and it begins to transform our speech. And for the believer who is meditating upon God's word, we are unable to hold back that which has been invested, that treasure that has been placed in our hearts. It must come out. It must be proclaimed. So... David, he has a heart and a love for God's law, and that's what should be the passion of us, God's people. We should have a desire for God's law, for his word. His deliverance becomes central on the lips of David. It should be central on the lips of our, of our lips. Now, David is telling the God of the universe that he has spoken of God's faithfulness, his salvation, And sometimes we think of salvation only in regards of eternal life that we have been given by grace alone. But we can lose sight of God's continual salvation in our lives. This continual work of deliverance is God continually keeping his children. And David, he testifies to not hiding or concealing the Lord's steadfast love, his kindness, his faithfulness towards David. Verse 10 is pointing to those five qualities of God. He wants the reader to see how marvelous, how wonderful our God is. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. There is a transition in this psalm. David, he's moving from a testimony to now a prayer. He has testified of the great attributes of God in verse 10, and now he is confident that in light of all that he knows God to be, that God will preserve David because he, the Lord, is merciful, kind, and faithful. The doctrine of perseverance of the saints, it's a a doctrine that we often need to meditate upon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's got a a, a quote uh, that if we can place it up there, he says, if there is one doctrine I have preached more than another, it is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, even to the end. For the believer, we are going through current trials We are going through current temptations. Uh, We are going through deep emotions and difficult times. And what wonderful truths we get when we reflect upon the truth of the fact that the saints persevere, not in our own strength, but only in Christ. Now, for us, we will look at uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 33. 
We're looking at a lot of scriptures this evening, um, but these are important scriptures. Luke chapter 22, 31 to 33 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Here we see that we have a great advocate This great advocate who sits at the right hand of the Father, who has been given all power, all authority. And what is he doing? He is praying. He's praying on our behalf. Jesus, our Lord, prays that our faith may not fail. He keeps us from apostatizing. Sorry, I stumbled over my words. Even Peter, who denied Christ three times, would be restored He would be the restored apostle that would preach the great sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts. God, he gives us faith to persevere. And this does not mean that we will not face temptation, trials, and even sin. But God keeps his children and never abandons them. Those of us that are believers are great recipients of this covenant of grace. The doctrine of perseverance, it's really beautifully displayed as we look in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 40 to 42. Here God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will Rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in, the, in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. How wonderful it is just to read those words that our God, the sovereign God, he will make an everlasting covenant signed, sealed by the blood of Christ, and he will not turn away from doing good to his people. And he will put fear in the hearts of his people that they may not turn away from him. As David is going through this, and we're seeing this picture of David going through this trial, we're not certain of what exactly is happening in his life. And there's probably good reason for that. as this is being displayed for the general assembly, it's, it's great to not have all the details of why David at this point is going through this trial or who he is facing this trial against, who are his opponents. It's probably good because it's actually more relatable to the general assembly and even to us today. And, but as David is facing these difficulties, these trials, these, these, this hard-pressed push towards evil surrounding him, his own reality of his own depravity, uh, people that are coming against him. What is it doing? It's pushing a greater dependence upon his Lord. It says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. 
The evils that have encompassed David that are beyond number are most likely tied to his own iniquities. David, he shifted from full view of God's attributes to now placing the reality of his depravity in full view. The psalmist, he's confessing that his sins number more than the hairs upon his head. Or maybe, for me, the hairs upon my beard. It's hard for me to read that text. Now, when we are in full view of our depravity, we are left only to cry out for a Savior to deliver us. And we'll hear that in David as he, with David as he moves into these following verses. As he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Verse 15, let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. David, he's asking for the Lord or he's petitioning the Lord to delight in the deliverance of David. He was pressed into his current circumstances and he was asking for God to be quick to deliver him. You know, we always pray for the Lord's will to be done. But that does not mean that God is not kind to hear the cries of his children, our plea for quick deliverance. Even our cry for Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. It's not in vain. Our current view of sin in this fallen world should compel us to cry for the return of our Savior. Verse 14 shows us that not only was David dealing with the reality of his own sin, but he was faced with people that desired for him to be dead. These people delighted or were pleased to see David hurt. But our righteous God is pleased to deliver. The wicked are pleased or delight in destruction. You see that the, the kind of these parallels that David is showing us? He's showing us the the righteousness of God and the awful depravity of the foolish man. David is petitioning the Lord that they might be put to shame, removed from a place of honor. These individuals are so prideful and filled with hatred that they say, aha. Aha is used nine times in the Old Testament. And every occurrence of the word points to foolish enemies of God. A great picture that we have of this is in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 through 20. 44, 12 through 20. He says, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with the strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line and he marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man. 
with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it, and he warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feels, he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? All through Scripture, we see this picture of the fool. Psalm 14 also takes us to the picture of the fool. Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. None, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad." In that same tenor, the, the fool is unable to see God. He is blind to his own depravity. But the believer is in full view of his depravity. Also, his eyes open to the view of a holy God who is the giver of grace. It says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say, continually, great is the Lord. What a stark comparison to the fool in verse 14 and 15. They will be put to shame, disappointed, dishonored, turned back, and appalled. But the believer, the one who truly seeks the Lord, he will rejoice, be glad, and love the salvation of the Lord. The fool will be crushed who utters, aha, but the righteous will be lifted up as they declare, great is the Lord. 
As David is victorious and is delivered from evil in the sight of the great assembly, the cry of great is the Lord becomes the corporate cry of the people of God. It is good to be reminded of deliverance and to celebrate corporately all that God has delivered us from. This is why I love taking the Lord's Supper together with the church. It gives us this great opportunity to partake of this ordinary means of grace. We are able to show our love of salvation as we remember and partake. As our lips taste the bread and taste the wine, our hearts should be compelled to cry out, Great is the Lord. David, in this final verse, he's now looking again and remembering this state that he is in. And he says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. David knows that he's in a low place. His needs, they are so great. In church, there are some maybe even here this evening I know there's only a few of you here tonight, but some of you guys have been through so much. You've had to go through loss in your lives. You've had to go through difficult medical prognosis. You guys have been able to go through uh, loss of family members and have experienced great pain. Some of you have gone through issues in your, in your jobs where you guys have uh, been pushed out of positions because of your testimony. Some of you guys have dealt with just financial strain in your, in your life, and you are sensing your own poverty, your own need. Like David, the Lord, he takes thought for you. The Lord, he's not left you, he's not forsaken you. The same spirit that has sealed you and kept you is continuing to preserve you for the glory of God. Church, look to the one who is able to help. Look to the one, the only one who is able to deliver and grasp onto all that he is. This isn't just David's God. This is our God. If we grasp on to all that God is, if we see him for who he is, this sovereign, omniscient, kind, loving, just God, for all that he is, the one who will punish the wicked, the one who will make all things right and new again, then we can have peace. When we see these headlines that cry, for a savior, when we read through all of these things, we'll know that it has nothing to do with our way of being able to uh, delegate with other countries. It won't have anything to do with being able to uh, make sure that we can have liberals get along with conservatives, and it won't have anything to do with whether or not uh, We are doing things with our children in regards to video games that are pointing towards shooters, YouTube videos, all the things that we think are impacting. None of that will play into it because 
we will look and see that it is a sovereign God who will work in the hearts of man and it is our job to testify to God's word, to proclaim these things to the nations, to North Korea, to India, to the soldiers that are going through great loss, to Hong Kong. They need the gospel. And it's our job to proclaim this truth, this mercy that we have been given. I want to end our time this evening with a prayer that was in uh, the Valley of Vision. And this prayer is called, Oh My Soul, and um, Oh oh, oh My Savior, apologize. And um, if you care, I would invite you to close your eyes and pray this with me as I go through this beautiful Puritan prayer. He says, oh, my Savior, help me. I am so slow to learn, so prone to forget, so weak to climb. I am in the foothills when I should be on the heights. I am pained by my graceless heart, my prayerless days, my poverty of love, my sloth in the heavenly race, my sullied conscience, my wasted hours, my unspent opportunities. I am blind while light shines around me. Take the scales from my eyes. Grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief. Make it my chiefest joy to study thee, meditate on thee, gaze on thee, sit like Mary at thy feet, lean like John on thy breast, appeal like Peter to thy love, count like Paul all things dung. Give me increase and progress in grace so that there may be more decision in my character, more vigor in my purpose, more elevation in my life, more fervor in my devotion, more constancy in my zeal. As I have positioned in the world, keep me from making the world my position. May I never seek in the creature what can be found only in the creator. Let not faith cease from seeking thee until I vanish into sight. Ride forth in me, thou King of kings and Lord of lords, that I may live victoriously and in victory attain my end. Amen. Amen. Church, go and proclaim this great mercy and do it in light of the one who has delivered us.